0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Tom Harris. Welcome to Tom Harris Live for the weekend of April thirtieth of two thousand and eleven and this is a very, very special show and the reason why it 's very, very special is because it 's not a live show well yeah, and there 's a reason for that. but I did think that you all deserve a show and you know i didn 't want to let you go for a week without a show, but the way things are happening here on United Kingdom radio right now it's not necessarily uh, important that we get out the show exactly at the the time that we sing. You know, it's not as rigid as it was, as it were, as far as scheduling and so forth goes. And as I mentioned last week, there was a lot of concern about whether or not I would be able to make it uh, this week or not because of my internet. And as it turns out, now I am still in the process of moving as I record this. Now, by the time this airs, I will be actually completely moved into the new apartment. But for right now, well, that's not so much because um, we are going to be moving. I think we're going to be moving all of the furniture on Thursday, Thursday, probably in the early evening. And that'll be our uh, big move. But uh, the way it has worked out for me, as far as the the Internet goes, is that I had to make an appointment. Now, I, I have to switch providers. Because my old provider, which which frankly sucks anyway, I, I don't really like my old provider, but the new provider uh, is AT and T, and they have to come in and they have to install some hardware, and you know kind of get things up and running, and it's going to take about four hours for them to do. So I called. On on Monday from work and and talk to the the nice people over at AT and T. You know I had to get my phone moved over there as well, and I had you know my my phone with AT and T. So so I, I was able to to save a little bit of money because of that. But anyway, um, I I have the new internet coming, and they're not going to be able to send a guy out to actually hook up the internet until May ninth, which is two weeks from now. That's it's just an incredibly long time. So I decided what I would do instead. Is to do a nice little pre-recorded show. We're going to talk about Greece, and you know it doesn't really matter, I guess, to me whether or not these travel shows go out live or not. And the reason why is because I don't like to take calls during the travel shows, and the really the reason why is because you know I love you, you all, and I love all the people like Ross and and you know, all the people who call. And the thing is with the with the travel shows is that I kind of have a lot of material to get through and calls kind of break up the flow of the conversation the flow of the show which is nothing against the callers because i like i said i love you all and, you know ross and will and 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 james and all of the people who call the show but the travel shows i think we can do without the input of of people. Now, normally I would be getting Skype messages and so forth during the show, and that obviously is not going to happen this week. Now, it does seem as though the first opportunity uh, of a new live show is going to be on the 14th of May. And as much as I hate to say that, because it's going to be a couple of weeks before they're going to be able to get here and hook up the internet. Like I said, they're coming on the 9th of May. Now it is entirely possible that I may not even be here during that week and the week after. So the next time you may get a live show for me might actually be the weekend of the 21st. And I didn't want to leave you go that long. Therefore I'm going to pre-record this show. We're going to talk about Greece and then, we'll just kind of pretend that it was a live show. <laughs> and of course, those of you who are listening by podcast, which of course, most of you are, most of the, the downloads I get for this show come from people who are listening to the podcast. And those of you who are listening through the podcast, well, you're not going to notice any difference at all. Now, I'm not quite sure at this point whether this show is going to go on for an entire hour. And the nice thing about, YouTube, of course, I'm not this isn't going up on YouTube. But uh, the nice thing about podcasting about pre recording is that you don't have to worry about it being exactly an hour, I don't have to worry about time slot. It's Tuesday night, you know, I I don't have to worry about James Sanders who's following me at 5pm. And I don't need to worry about any kind of a show transition. So I'm just kind of free to be able to do whatever I want. In a lot of ways, it's like recording my old podcast which, of course, I have a lot of experience with. And, of course, the new podcast, which is in the works. And I have a feeling that the first several episodes of that of that show are going to be produced while my internet is out because that'll give me something to do. I'll still be able to record. I'll still be able to research. Um, well, the research could be a little bit of an issue, but probably not too much. It's, it's probably going to be pretty uh, okay overall. So there will be some recording being done. I'm... I'm hoping to not be idle during that time when I'm waiting for them to hook up my internet. And the other thing I have, of course, which I haven't even started yet at this point is actually unpacking all of the boxes that I've transported over to the new apartment. And as it happens, I'm still in the old place as I record this now, but that is going to be changing in the next couple of days, as I've already said. So that is kind of what's going on here. And I do apologize for not having a brand new live show for you, but like I said, most people listen by podcast anyway, so it's really not going to make a difference to most people. Anyhow, moving right along, it has been a, a wonderful last few days here in Chicago. The weather has been absolutely gorgeous. We are having you know a little bit of, of April showers, and you know that's to be expected in the springtime here. People are actually saying that it might snow in the next couple of days, but I don't think that's going to happen. And even if it did, it wouldn't stick. It is way too warm outside. It was warm enough the other day that I actually was, was going about running errands, going back and forth between here and the new place, and I wasn't even having to wear a coat. It was really, really nice to, to be able to, to get out there and do that and not have to worry about the temperature. And it was nice, you know. It, it, even a bit warm. You know, not, people know, you know I don't like hot weather. I really am not a hot weather person. I really like cool weather, temperate weather, and you know the UK climate is almost ideal for me. It's a little more humid maybe than I would normally like, but you know it is sort of my ideal climate. And I've often thought, you know, it's a, yeah, I'd love to move somewhere like the Scottish Highlands, that is very kind of temperate all year round, and you sort of cool temperatures at night, and then it gets warmer during the day, and, and a little bit of rain, you know, that that's not going to bother me too much. <laughs> but anyway, um, and Chicago is, is rather different, because the weather can be very changeable here. But in the summers, of course, it's uncomfortably hot. And in the winters, it can be very, very cold. But I love the change of seasons. I love the whole kind of wheel of the year as the as the pagans may say of of the seasons and the my two favorite seasons in recent years have been the transitional seasons autumn of course which is my favorite season and spring which is my second favorite season so it is it is nice out and the leaves are starting to come out on the trees We have lots and lots of flowers already and, of course, more to come. The the tulips have already uh, started to sprout. The uh, daffodils are all out in force. The uh, uh, African violets I'm seeing everywhere, you know, they kind of spread like a plague. (laughs) It really is, you know, they kind of take over people's gardens and then they kind of spread out into the lawn. And that's just kind of the way they are. But it has been really, really pleasant outside, even kind of walking back and forth between this apartment and the other place, which, as I said, is not that far. It's, it, you know, I kind of, um, some, somebody was saying the other day, you know, what would I talk about? Would it, it, to describe the, the walking journey between here and the new apartment. And I've often kind of joked that this is kind of a rough neighborhood. And I guess you could argue that it is. It, it kind of is a rough neighborhood, but it's not as rough as as I probably let on, because it has become. It always has been, but it has become even more so, in my opinion, a diverse neighborhood. And one of the things that I've noticed, we've we've had a lot of um, of East Asian. Uh, people moving into this neighborhood i mean by that i I don't mean chinese japanese people more uh, indian subcontinent uh people coming into this neighborhood and i love to see now this progressively more vibrant ethnic mix in this neighborhood and i've talked about this on on the podcast before that i grew up in a neighborhood that that was very diverse and i had friends of of all different races when i was growing up my my one of my very best friends was japanese i had you know african american friends i had you know i had a, a classmate who was indian you know it, it was very very diverse and i like that kind of environment that's one of the things about sort of the the funkier neighborhoods that appeals to me and in particular Rogers Park. Now, Rogers Park is in the far north side of Chicago. It's not like right in the middle of the inner city. And we're not a suburb. We actually are part of the city of Chicago. But we are a very diverse neighborhood. I would say that, uh, you know, the mix has changed a little bit since I moved here 10 years ago. But it has become, I think, even more diverse than it already was. And I would say that we have probably in this neighborhood about 40% Hispanic, uh, maybe 20% African American, and then kind of the rest is everything else. And I do mean everything else. I mean, there's just. Uh, and of course, we have the advantage of being kind of sandwiched between two major universities. We have Loyola University which is actually very near here. It's only about a half mile or so, well, maybe a little more than that, maybe a mile from, from where I'm sitting right now. And then three miles north of us is Northwestern University. So there actually is sort of that to add to the mix. This is a fairly low-rent neighborhood. So this is the kind of place where you're going to get a lot of students coming. And I love it. I mean, that that is kind of what I want. Now, if I were extremely wealthy maybe this wouldn't be the neighborhood that I would live in but being who I am I don't need to live extravagantly even if I had money I would probably still live in a neighborhood like this maybe not in you know the situation I'm living in but you know obviously it would be be some sort of a a culturally vibrant sort of neighborhood cuz I really really like that um, so anyway, I have a uh, email here. This is an email from James Bates, our good friend James, who uh, emails us every so often. And he had a few comments on my previous show. So here we go. James writes, hope that the move goes okay. Well, me too. As for Elizabeth Sladen dying, she wasn't the only one to die that is famous here. You might not know him, but John Sullivan died and he made a lot of good sitcoms over here like Only Fools and Horses. And Roger Roger. He died at the age of 64, which seems quite young in today's world. Yeah, I I think I made that comment last week. As you said yourself, these programs are quite old now, and it is to be expected for them not to last forever, but it's so sad nonetheless, as the programs they're in, or associated in, are very good and will always be favorites, no matter how old the program is, and you can't compare to recent programs. I kind of agree with that there, um because obviously people are still out there watching those old doctor whos, and there's a lot of people out there I'm sure watching you know only fools and horses as well um it is you know it is a shame, and i I've kind of have spoken my piece on that, but you know sixty three sixty four years old that that is young now, you know back in my back in my youth my my misspent youth i mean, it really 65 years old was old. I mean you were no longer considered to be productive in society. And you would retire. You know, you wouldn't work anymore because it's it was, you know life expectancy was like 75 back then. And of course that's not that way now, is it? I mean people are really active well into their into their 80s now. So um yeah, I I do hope that I'm one of those old people that that doesn't Uh, you know, fade away at an early age. I really hope that that when I start really getting old that I'll actually be active and, um, you know, keep on going and going and going and you won't be able to get rid of me. (laughs) Anyway, uh, James goes on, you say that laptops overheat. I had one desktop that overheated, but then it was quite old. Yeah, well, yeah, when they get really old, they get a lot of gunk in them. You know, it's really funny because this past week I decided to recycle my old IBM computer and i got the the computer in 1997 which makes it nearly as old as mikey holt and it was really good computer at the time i got it i mean it wasn't the the brand new thing when i first got it it was about a year old so it was already starting to get obsolete but uh, but that thing still worked i mean it still worked fine up until you know i decided to recycle it now funny about recycling computers it is that they don't recycle hard drives. So I actually had to go in there and I had to remove the hard drive and they don't recycle that part. So that I don't know why that is. If anybody knows that, let me know because I'm, I'm kind of interested in finding that out. I'd kind of like to know why they don't recycle hard drives. Maybe they're concerned about finding stuff on on hard drives that they don't want to deal with. I don't know. I mean, it just seems to me odd in a way. So what are you supposed to do with this hard drive? Nobody wants a 3.2 gig hard drive. I mean, I didn't want a 3.2 gig hard drive. That's why I still had the damn computer. (laughs) Uh, Laptops are good if you just want to do small things like email or look up info or do a document on the move. But doing big items on a laptop are never a good idea. I would say that gaming was one of those things, um, generally speaking though pete has a a laptop which i have said it was a really good laptop and he can game on it but it really isn't what i my idea of an ideal kind of situation what i really hate i really hate the controls i really don't like the uh you know the little nipple that they have that you move i don't know what else to call it folks it it, it is a nipple um on it it reminds me of joe morris from american talk usa (laughs) do you have any nipples yeah. Anyway, um, uh, James goes on. Uh, you have some weird weather where you are at the moment. Yeah, it's kind of springtime. Over here at the moment where I am, it has been sunny with a thunderstorm yesterday. It was rather low as well as it tried to knock out the electrics, but was successful in knocking out my telephone line for a couple of minutes. Um, I don't think my phone has ever gone out here. I don't remember. Because here, here in the States, I don't know if it's the same way over in the UK or not. But telephones here are in a different set of of lines than the electricity. So if the electricity goes out, more often than not, your phone will still work. Because the electrification for your phone comes through a different set of wires. So I've never had both my phone and my electric out at the same time. The, The only way I can see that that would happen would be if you have one of these modern phones like the, these phones that require that you plug them into a you know in, well into the mains as you folks would say in the UK and so they wouldn't be able to operate without power but the way my phone I have an old fashioned phone and it and it's uh, not a dial phone obviously but it is the um sort of the next step up it's your kind of your most basic phone that'll still work on the on the lines it's a you know kind of a, a 80s style touch tone phone as for con men, you mentioned, I don't know if you can get the webpage, but, oh, he said, as for the con men you mentioned, I don't know if you can get to the webpage, but go to bbc.co.uk slash watchdog. Watchdog is a program on BBC One over here that deals with customer complaints about companies and the program chases after con men as well. It's really shocking what scams the con men get up to. And I'm glad that there's somebody out there exposing the con men. Have a nice week. Hope everything goes well for you from James. Well, thank you very much, James. I really appreciate your email. I do appreciate all email, in fact. And you can always write to the show, whether the show is live or not, by writing to Tom at TomHarrisUSA.com or alternatively Tom at unitedkingdomradio.co dot uk it all goes to the same place folks oh incidentally james is now one of my newest facebook friends so if anybody out there is interested in contacting me through facebook you can do there is a tom harris usa podcast community page that you can go to and you can find me through that and if i know who you are then it is very likely that I will add you as a friend personally on Facebook. If I don't know you, well, I might not add you. (laughs) Um, But don't take it personally because it just means I don't know you. And what that means is that you should write to me and you should call the show and you should actually get me to know who you are. And then, of course, I'll be happy to add you in. And, and of course, I think probably half the listeners to the show are probably already friends of mine on Facebook. So anyway, uh, you know, just uh, introduce yourself. That's always a good thing to do. getting back to your comment about, about the con men and, you know, I'm really glad that there are people out there who go after these, these con artists and also, you know, the consumer advocates that go after particular companies who are perhaps not giving very good service and so forth. That's all good. Um, But, you know, I think that that's small potatoes because I think that there are much greater problems as far as, as people being manipulated and being conned. And I talk about those things all the time on this show. I talked about on, on my podcast as well. And in particular, in the area of, of you know pseudoscience and religion and that sort of thing. And I view it as part of my job to point things out to people and of course there are people like scott mitchell and they say well if you buy something that's fake you know from somebody that's okay because as long as you think you got a good deal that's okay you know and i and i disagree with that i think that's a dumb idea i think that you know if if somebody is out there ripping people off that it actually is the duty of people who see it happening to come forward and say something and not necessarily you know saying, oh, these people should be banned or whatever, but to alert people to the fact that these things are going on. And of course, I talk about mediums and, and psychics and, and religion in general uh, doing that sort of thing, and that's just kind of what I do. And I view that as a public service. It doesn't, I don't gain anything from doing it. Um, it's something that I do to try to help people not be taken in by all of this nonsense. So in a sense, you know, the show like Watchdog and I shared sort of a common goal. But, you know, I'm not going to write a, a letter to, you know, GE or somebody <laughs> challenging your phone bill. I mean, that's something that you'll have to do for on your own. Okay, so we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do Today in History. Today in History, April 30th in 311 The Roman Emperor Galerius extended legal recognition of Christians within the Roman Empire. In 1789, George Washington was inaugurated the first President of the United States in New York City. In 1889, the first United States national holiday was announced, the centennial of Washington's inauguration. In 1889, as well, the George Washington Bridge opened, linking New York City and New Jersey. I believe that's still in use today. And in 1900, the United States annexed the Kingdom of Hawaii. Later became their 50th United States state. In 1904, the ice cream cone made its debut. 1947, the Boulder Dam was renamed in honor of former President Herbert Hoover. uh, And you can still go visit Hoover Dam. In 1952, Mr. Potato Head is the first toy ever advertised on television. In 1955, scientists announced a new element, element number 101, Mendelevium. In 1974, President Richard Nixon handed over partial transcripts of the Watergate tape recordings. In 1980... Queen Juliana of the Netherlands abdicated her throne in favor of her daughter Beatrix. Uh, Beatrix, who was born Beatrix Wilhelmina Armgard, was crowned Queen of the Netherlands on the same day. In 1997, 42 million people watched Ellen DeGeneres admit that she was gay on national television. Birthdays on April 30th include in 1309, Kazimierz III, the Great, King of Poland. He was King of Poland from 1333 to 1370. In 1777, Carl Friedrich Gauss, one of the world's great mathematicians, was born. In 1909, Juliana, Queen of the Netherlands. In 1910, Al Lewis, the actor, uh, best known as Grandpa from the Munsters, was born. In 1916 Robert Shaw was born in Red Bluff, California. He was the conductor of the Robert Shaw Chorale. Not chorale as in taking the doggies to the corral. It's a a chorale is, is, is a chorus. I'd like I'd really like to go see the Robert Shaw Chorale if <laughs> the <laughs> anyway, uh, 1926 Chorus Leachman was born in Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa she was an actress uh, best known for sitcoms back in the 70s she's absolutely nuts folks, she is still out there working and she is crazy 1933, country singer Willie Nelson Notorious Pothead was born in Abbott, Texas in 1938 Queen Beatrix of the Netherlands I guess her she and her mother both had the same birthday, that's interesting um and also in 1938, Larry Niven, the science fiction author who won he won five Hugo Awards, uh, was born. Uh, in 1944, also the actress Jill Clayburgh was born in New York City. In 1946, Carl Gustav, the King of Sweden, was born. He's been King of Sweden since 1973. In 1982, Kirsten Dunst was born, uh, the actress. And in 1988, Molico was born in the San Diego Zoo. He was the first California condor chick conceived in captivity. That's a mouthful there. And that is Today in History. All right, so as I often do at the bottom of the hour here, I'm going to take a real quick break, and we'll be right back talking about Greece. United Kingdom Radio have teamed up with a brand new online internet radio music service called You Love Love It, It, We We Play It, It, aimed at the over-25s and featuring some presenters that present right here on United Kingdom Radio. So if you've had enough of all that rabbit, (coughs) (coughs) thank you Chas and Dave, then try our brand new music service at www.youloveitweplayit.com. Hello, Chris Reardon here. I hope you enjoy our shows here at United Kingdom Radio. A bit of fundraising now for the station. If you fancy a bit of music in your life, then why not try one of my weekly non-stop music mixes? All music, no talking. You can get a new one each week and download them from www.chrisreardonshow.co.uk. For just 80 pence UK, that's about $1.30 US, they are over 75 minutes long and contain some of the brand new club tunes around at the moment in the UK. Download them now from www.chrisreardonshow.co.uk. My weekly mixes, just 80 pence, www.chrisreardonshow.co.uk. And we are back here on United Kingdom Radio. This is Tom Harrison, Chicago, Illinois, April 30th of 2011. And this is a pre-recorded show. Please do not call in because I'm not here. Um, (laughs) But then again, you may already know that because I'm not going out live. But normally following me at 5 would be James Saunders um, from North Wales. Wales, And uh, James uh, will be bringing you his show as normal at 5 p.m. So... We're going to talk about Greece now, and now Greece is a place that I haven't been much, as opposed to some of the other locations in Europe that I've talked about. I have not been to Greece multiple times. My one and only trip there was back in 1980, and this was the trip I took right out of high school. I had just graduated from high school, spent three weeks in Europe with the PAI, uh, Pacific American Institute. It was a, a tour of sorts. And basically what it consisted of was we'd have a a group of about 50 people, give or take, most of whom were either in high school or had just graduated, like me. You had some faculty people, faculty advisors, and a couple of people who were, I think they were kind of supposed to be chaperones or, or whatever. So Greece was a place that I was really, really excited to be going because at that point in my life, I was still very much... Trapped in this sort of fundamentalist Christian mindset, and it's very exciting for well, I still love travel, obviously, and I get excited to go anywhere. But I was particularly exi- excited to go to Greece because of the the links to the Bible, the links to to people like like Saint Paul, and seeing some of the places that were mentioned in the Christian mythology as as part of the the acts of the apostles and so forth so i was very excited to go to to greece and i have to say though you know of the places we went and and the, the countries we went to basically were were great britain uh, greece italy austria uh we passed through germany um and then france so I mean it wasn't a long trip and we spent a few days in each place but but Greece was my least favorite of the countries that we visited and and I guess there are a lot of reasons for that ultimately but thinking back I do think that I would like to return because I think that that going there with an adult eye would be maybe I think I think I would enjoy Greece more perhaps now, don't get me wrong, there were there were certainly a lot of things that I enjoyed about about going there. And a lot of the things that we saw I found very, very interesting. But culturally I, I found it maybe perhaps the most alien of my uh experiences in Europe. And maybe it was just the most different from what I was used to. I've often thought about it over the years and and thinking about, well, you know, how would I view the the same experiences differently now? And one of the things, obviously, when I'm traveling, I travel independently. And so I don't want to be tied down. And I like to, to go where I want, when I want. And, of course, you can't do that when you're with a huge group. When you've got a, a group of 50 high school students, and they have to kind of corral you. And you only have a little bit of time that you can spend exploring a city on your own. And I, I kind of spent a lot of that. Well, we were in Greece for a total of five days, but we had things that we did every day. We had certain activities. The the uh, one little bout of classroom time that we had when we were on this trip happened when we were in Greece. So we had an entire day of our five days in Greece that we spent in a classroom, essentially. <laughs> and and uh, this was sort of our... our introduction to the trip you know where the trip really got going so i I don't know i mean there are probably a lot of reasons why greece wasn't my favorite place but i do have some fun facts about greece and this is something that i do every time i do a travel show i talk talk a little bit about the country in general um greece has an area of about fifty thousand square miles this is about the size of the state of alabama here in the states However, Greece has about twice the population of the state of Alabama. Of that population, about 40% lives in the immediate area of the capital city, Athens. Approximately 16.5 million tourists visit Greece every year, which is more than the country's entire population. Uh, the entire population of Greece is around 10 million. So, I mean, that's that's basically, you know, that's that's actually less than the population of, of the greater Chicagoland area. It's about the same. Nobody in Greece can choose to not vote. Voting is required by law in Greece if you're over the age of 18. Interestingly enough, they do also have a a standard service that you're required, whether in the military or whatever. uh, People who are over the age of 18 need to to actually serve in the military or serve their community in other ways. Um, About 7% of all the marble in the world is produced in Greece. And Greece is also the world's third leading producer of olives, uh, for which they are famous, actually. And the Greeks have cultivated olives uh, forever, basically. And there are some olive trees that were planted in the 13th century that are still producing olives today. Well, they can keep their olives because I can't freaking stand olives. I, <laughs> I hate olives and always have and probably always will. Um, Greece does not have any navigable rivers uh, because of the mountainous terrain of the country about 80 percent of greece is mountainous that's about roughly the same percentages as japan actually um uh, greece also has more earthquakes than anywhere else in europe and of course that's that's to be expected because they are uh on a uh, tectonic ridge approximately 98 percent of the people in greece are ethnic greek it's one of the most homogeneous societies in europe um the largest minority group are turks and other minorities are Albanians, Macedonians, Bulgarians, Armenians, and Romani, the Gypsies. Um, Greece has over 2,000 islands in its territory, of approximately 200 of them are populated. Greeks is also the leading producer of natural sponge. Uh, Greek ships comprise over 70% of the European Union's total merchant fleet. That's a lot. And according to Greek law, 75% of each ship's crew must be Greek. So that's a lot of Greek sailors uh, in the EU's merchant fleet. Greece has more archaeological museums than any other country in the world. That's not difficult to believe. Um, In Greece, more people celebrate their name day than celebrate their own birthday. And they do this in Finland, too, and, and some other countries I've been to, where you celebrate the name of the saint who you're named after. But that always confused me a little bit because, you know, there's a lot of people out there who aren't named after saints. So what do you, what do they celebrate their name day? I don't, I don't get that. So, I mean, to, to me, that makes no sense. You can imagine, you know, trying to do that here. So anyway, uh, the first Olympic Games uh, took place in 776 B.C., and the first Olympic champion was a Greek cook by the name of Coroebus. And, of course, Greece was also the site of the revival of the modern Olympic Games, which took place in the very late 19th century. In fact, uh, one of the things that we saw when, when we were in Greece was the Olympic Stadium. And that's worth a look. I mean, I'm not a huge sports fan by any stretch of the imagination, but it was cool to see where the, the modern Greek games got their start. And you, know, you can go still visit this. this you know, it's very well preserved. It's old. I mean, it, you know, it was built in the 1890s, but it is still pretty well preserved. And I guess they do still have events and things there. But um, that is one of the sites that you can go see in, in Athens. Moving on, the Greek language is one of the oldest existent languages in Europe, having been spoken continuously for over 3,000 years. In Greece, the dead are always buried because the Greek Orthodox Church forbids cremation. That's interesting. Five years after a burial, the body is exhumed and the bones are first washed with wine and then placed in an ossuary. This is done in part to relieve the shortage of land in Greek cemeteries. There is no point in Greece that is more than 85 miles from water. Greece has about 9,000 miles of coastline, the 10th longest coastline in the world. The word barbarian comes from the Greek word barbaroi, which means people who don't speak Greek, interestingly enough, because they therefore sound like they're saying bar, 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 bar. That's what the Greeks thought. Democracy in Athens was significantly different from modern democracies. This is talking about the... uh, Greek democracy, obviously, um, in that it was both more participatory and exclusive. Also, there was no political parties in in Athenian democracy. Of course, yeah, obviously uh, what we think of today as, as democracy was first developed in ancient Greece. And of course, then it was only landowners, a certain class of people that was permitted to vote, but yet everybody had the vote. So it was it was a mob rule, but it was also sort of an oligarchy in a sense, because there were only something like 20 percent of the people actually had the status to be able to to vote. Um, It's not not very much like the representative democracies that we have today. Greece has one of the highest abortion rates in Europe, also the the. Percentage of people who have sexual relations is among the highest in the world, and Greece also has one of the lowest divorce rates in the EU. I kind of wonder if those things are connected. You know, um, about ten percent of a Greek worker's pay is taken for taxes. That, that's low tax, and another ten percent for national health care. The government provides free hospitals and other medical services. Greek workers get at least one month of paid vacation every year. However, there's a very high rate of corruption in Greek companies and also the Greek government. About 10% of Greek adults are unemployed. Even with a college education, it's hard to find a job. So that is uh, my, my fun facts about Greece. And we'll kind of move on to talking a little bit about my adventures while I was there. Like I said, I was very excited to go there. To begin with, this was a, a place that I had a lot of expectations for, and going there was interesting uh, because I wanted to see all the great the great sites I wanted to see the Parthenon and the Areopagus and the you know the the Greek archaeological museum and and all all this this cool stuff and we did spend kind of most of our time in Greece in Athens. Now, the, there was a reason for that. Obviously, Athens is the most populated area of the country. And also, there's a lot to see there. There's a, a ton of stuff to see there. I already talked about the Olympic Stadium. But you can also go look at the, the Presidential Palace, which we did. And in front of the Presidential Palace, they have these Greek guards there. Now, the the, the guards themselves are a tourist attraction, it, much in the same way that the the guards outside Buckingham Palace in London. Are a tourist attraction, and of course the Greek guards. A lot of people make fun of them because they dress funny. They have these these skirts, and they're definitely not kilts. They 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 definitely are more skirt like. They've got these funny hats, which kind of are they look like nightcaps almost, and they've got these great big pom poms on their boots. So they they do kind of present a comical uh, presentation. and also, they have this weird way of marching around—is great, big, goose-stepping type, type goose steps—and um, it, it's quite the show. And and we actually sat in front of the uh, the presidential palace with a bunch of other tourists and watched the the sort of the changing of the guard. The, the, I guess it would be the equivalent of the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace, but not as big of a show. I, sort of like the, I guess you could say that the, what, what the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace is. Most of the time, <laughs> you know, because it isn't usually the great, great big presentation for the tourists that, that it is during the summer and only at certain times of the day, you know. So that was kind of a cool thing to see. Now, I spent I personally had, you know, we didn't have a lot of time that we could kind of spend on our own. But one of the the days that we had was kind of a free day. We said we some classroom time and then we kind of had the rest of the day to do what we wanted and they didn't have an organized trip to see the archaeological museum in Athens and and to me that was like that's really what one of the things I wanted to see so i spent most of my free day visiting the archaeological museum in Athens and i i happen to love museums i happen to i really am a museum person but certainly the Archaeological Museum in Athens is one of the best in the world. It fantastic collection, on, and particularly of Greek art and ancient Greek art. And people forget, you know, just how much they influenced other societies that came later, including ours, quite frankly. But... They influenced uh, the Roman civilization quite a lot. I mean, the Romans stole a lot of stuff from the Greeks, including their their mythology. You know, they renamed the gods after the, the old Etruscan gods, but they is basically the the same thing as the Greek gods. This is what's known as syncretism, which I've talked about on the show before in, in regards to uh, Christian mythology. But the um, interesting thing about the the you know the Greek archaeological museum is just the sheer scale of it i mean it's not the biggest museum i've ever been into i think probably the louvre is the biggest museum that i've been in but the um just it's just a wealth of of riches as far as the the archaeology goes and so it's definitely worth a visit if you if you love statues and and the artwork of of the traditional Greek culture, the ancient Greeks, then that's definitely a place that you would need to go. Now, the, our second day there, we went up to the Acropolis. Now, Acropolis is sort of right smack in the middle of of Athens. It's sort of the old center of Athens. Now, there are kind of three separate, distinct things to go see in that in that area. The first, of course, is the the Parthenon. And the buildings kind of surrounding that area. Um, the Acropolis is actually a just this giant, huge rock. Basically, you get up there by a series of stairways and so forth. Who who, who knows how they got up there in the past? Um, and you kind of climb up there on a series of of stairways, and you go up. And and of course, the Parthenon is is kind of a shadow of its former self because back during the uh, the, the Napoleonic age, the Turks had been using the Parthenon as an ammo dump. And at one point, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the Ottoman Empire, which controlled Greece at that time, the you know, Greeks didn't really have their own independent country for, for most of its history. They was always kind of a client of Rome or an Ottoman you know, province or you know, part of the Byzantine Empire. You know, it really didn't have its own political identity until relatively recently. And uh, but back in the the 1800s, it was controlled by by the, by the Ottomans, and they were using the the Parthenon as an ammo dump. And up until that point, the building was fairly complete. But then there was a, a huge explosion which caused a lot of damage to the, uh, to the temple itself. So there's not nearly as much of it to see now as there used to be. But it was a, um, a pretty uh, impressive sight, even in its damaged state. And I do have somewhere, and whenever I get a working scanner again, I'll, I'll probably scan it and throw it up on Facebook or something. I do have actually a photo of me when I was 17 standing in front of the Parthenon, um, which I believe was taken by my good friend Kelly, who sometimes listens to the show. So uh, hello, Kelly, if you're out there. But the um, the other things to see in that same area include an amphitheater, an ancient Greek amphitheater, where a lot of the plays of Aristophanes and people like that were performed. It is uh, kind of an, an interesting part of of Greek history. And we went to go see... There were some actors that I wouldn't call it a play, really, but they they were doing like a demonstration of the acoustics and so forth, and they had one of these people dressed up as an old Greek actor, and they wear these these big tall face masks and these great big tall shoes. I can't imagine, as an actor, as being somebody who has done a lot of acting, doing that kind of acting, wearing that kind of an outfit. I just can't imagine doing that. But the other thing now, and, and this is something that, I don't think is as popular to to go look at now, is this is big rock that's next to the Acropolis called the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus is notable for Christians, mostly because this was supposed to be the place where St. Paul preached to the Athenians, but also because this was uh, a site of martyrdom. This is a pilgrimage site. And the Areopagus originally was where a lot of the... Um, you know the greek judges would meet that was this was sort of their 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 meeting stone as it were and the th- main thing i remember and of course i was very impressed by it at the time because this is a pilgrimage site this is a place where christians all over the world come to see this place where paul supposedly preached and at the spot where he supposedly preached which of course is the highest point of the rock they've uh, erected this this large cross there and i have a i i'm sure i have photos of it of it somewhere but one of the things that really struck me about this rock is that unlike the rock where you're kind of walking up to the acropolis this rock is worn smooth i mean it's smooth to the point of being dangerous and slippery and they put down mats and they put down you know carpeting and stuff for you to walk on so you don't slip but I can only imagine, you know, how many feet have trodden on the Areopagus to make it that smooth and slippery. It, it just amazes me, and it kind of the same with some of the you know the ancient Greek and Roman buildings, where you they obviously have been in use for a great period of time, or for that matter, the city of Pompeii in Italy, which I'll talk about in, at some point in the future. But you can see the sort of the, the centuries and centuries of human use of this rock of people who were, you know, either using it as, as judges and, and legal officials back in the ancient Greek times to the modern Christian pilgrims who come there now to, to view the place where St. Paul supposedly preached. I, you know, I do find these pilgrimage sites to be very interesting and, so it was really one of these places that made a big impression on me, and, and especially when he you know, trying not to fall over. <laughs> that was more than a little part of it. Um, so that was sort of the the highlights of Athens for me. Other than that, I have to say I wasn't really impressed by Athens. It's a modern, dirty, crime-ridden city. I mean, it's the same as any other large city in in Europe. Probably dirtier than most. Now, keep in mind, I'm talking about the 80s here. I'm talking about 1980. So it may be that it's cleaned up since then or whatever, but somehow I doubt it. I don't think that it's in the character of Athens to be a neat, tidy place. I don't think that's the kind of city it is. And of course, if I'm wrong, please feel free to correct me. Now, the following day was kind of a fun day for us because we spent the entire next day of the trip out in the Greek islands, and and to me, this was actually, you know, even the fact I was living in Florida at the time, and I was used to the heat, I was used to going out to the, the beach, you know, I still found it very, very enjoyable, because what we did is we took a, just a big boat ride throughout the Greek Isles. Now, we also had three stops along the way, and we able to spend an hour or two in in each of these places now we got I remember getting up very early in the morning and and being driven to a boat which seemed way too small <laughs> um and the the boat was a uh, it was, yeah it was a tour boat but we had the whole thing to ourselves so it wasn't it, it didn't seem as though we were really on a tour boat because it was really just our group and so you know the people who we were traveling with and We took a tour of the Greek islands, and I remember the first stop on our trip, it seemed like a very, very long way, and I guess it is kind of a long way, but our first stop along the way was uh, Mykonos, and I know that Mykonos is is a really popular tourist site now, but I didn't get the sense at the time when we were there, which was 1980, that it really was that big of a tourist site. It'd see, maybe we didn't go to like the main part of the island where all the resorts are. But we did kind of stop in a, um, it was, seemed to me like a small town. And we had lunch there and we got to kind of look around. Beautiful day. It was, you know, absolutely, you know, spotless cloud, you know, no clouds, sunny day, not too hot. Um, a lot of people in our group got sunburned because it didn't seem like, you know, it wasn't the same kind of heat that you get in Florida. There's really humid, nasty heat, and people were not maybe as uncomfortable as, as they would have been in Florida in the same temperature. And so a lot of people, including me, get sun, got sunburned on that on that boat ride. But uh, we we went to Mykonos and then also to uh, Poros, um, or Poros, I, I guess it's pronounced, and and uh, i don't remember much about that and then took a uh, kind of it was a kind of a, a circle and then came back we passed by several other islands um, and they kind of described to each, to us each of these islands what they were, I guess. And a lot of these little tiny rocks that nobody lived on, or they would have like a sheepfold or something, you know, on the island, and that's kind of all that would be there. I do remember seeing a, a, a an island that had a monastery on it, and it was really really interesting, you know, and a, a really nice day to be out on a boat, enjoying a nice boat ride. And then the uh, our final stop of that trip was Idra. And I won't forget that because, to me, that was the, the favorite of the places, even though it was the, the closest to Athens, I think. Um, what I really remember about Idra was the harbor. I remember where we pulled in. Now, we, we actually pulled into, uh, there was no place for the boat to dock. It was a, a natural harbor, and the harbor had a cave, And it, a pretty big cave and we had to get out of the boat into like a rowboat and there were, there were like little motor boats that came out to the came out to the to the tour boat and and uh, took us back and forth and uh, they took us into town where we had dinner or uh, uh, it was kind of a late lunch because it was still daylight out and then we actually had a couple of hours free where we could swim in the ocean and there were i remember the there was a um on top of the cave, there was sort of a place where people were diving off. It was pretty high above the water not i wouldn 't say hugely high above the water, but you know maybe fifteen feet maybe twenty feet above the water and It was considered to be the brave thing to do to kind of dive off this this cave and the water right below that was quite deep it was a, a kind of a natural harbor that led off into this cave and I can remember the water being so warm. And it just being a really really nice opportunity, and I remember hanging out with some of the people from the from the tour, and kind of swimming around in the cave, and and I did actually dive off the the, the top of the cave a couple of times, went back up and and did it again, and it, it was it was a nice time, and we of course we you know, you have, they tell you be careful, watch for jellyfish because are a lot of jellyfish, uh, watch for sea urchins, and we did actually have a close encounter with some sea urchins um you know because i and i I talked about my my experience in croatia on a previous show where i actually got spiked on a sea urchin so now i know what it's like but um they yeah they're they're kind of overly cautious when you're a high school kid and you're traveling with a group you know Mm -hmm. um so idra i remember very fondly and i remember we had a a really nice outdoor dinner there um like a local local seafood, and I think I had uh, like calamari and that sort of thing. Um, I wasn't. I have to tell you though, you know, generally speaking, in in Greece, I was not impressed by the food. I'm not a huge fan of Greek food, but I don't hate it. But um, as a vegetarian, and you know, I had actually paid a little bit of extra money because I am a vegetarian. You know, to get vegetarian meals everywhere and they did a really poor job i mean they, they actually you know i was served meat on more than one occasion even though they knew that, that i was vegetarian but um i have to say you know eating ragu every day uh was not my idea you know everyone else had a, a nice variety of stuff that they could eat and i didn't um so it it did seem to me to be kind of a rip-off but um generally speaking I, you know but but you know, the islands were probably my favorite part of Greece, and I'm sure that this is why so many tourists, you know, will go out to the Greek islands and and spend their time out there. And uh, so the final day of our trip, uh, which was the, the following day, and everyone was sitting on the bus all day and being sunburnt, and <laughs> it was uh, pretty. Uh, uh, you know, it was a travel day, but we did stop and see of a couple things of interest. And one of the things is um, you know between Athens and the co- we went to we drove to the west coast of Greece to the city of patros and patros is a is a port um, and we took the night ferry from from Patros to Brindisi in Italy for the next uh, next leg of our trip. It was a night crossing so we you know we got there late in the day and and uh, kind of sat up on deck and we didn 't have cabins, so we just kind of sat up on deck and and Sat up all night. And I stayed up uh, really, really late because I wanted to watch the coast of Albania go by and at least see another country other than the ones that we were going to. And the, the route of that ship actually kind of hugged the coast all the way up to the Albanian border. And I and I did see the Albanian border, but the, there's nothing particularly interesting about it. And, and of course, at that time, Albania was a closed country. I mean, it was, it was utterly cut off. But um, anyway, um, on our way to uh, Patras, we actually stopped to see a couple of things. One of which was the Corinthian Canal, and I remember being very impressed by this. I've seen other pictures that it, where it doesn't look quite so deep, doesn't like. Yeah. You know, but this was a, a pretty magnificent feat of engineering back in the nineteenth century. But it actually saves uh the boats that, that go around Greece, you know, a lot of, of time uh by not having to go like twenty four hundred miles out of their way to get you know to the other side of Greece. It cuts right through this narrow peninsula. But that narrow peninsula is mountainous. And a lot of different attempts that were made to, to build a canal there and you know, even back to the the times of of Rome, and the Emperor Nero, and he tried to build a a canal through there. And it's not a very deep canal. In fact, the you know, big container ships and things can't go through there. So it is mostly like tourist boats that go through there now. We didn't go through there on the boat, but we definitely drove over it. Um, I remember on the, getting off the coach and looking over the side of this bridge. Down at the canal, and it seemed like a huge way down, like thousands of feet. It probably wasn't that far, um, but and in in it's not a very wide canal. It's only about 80 feet across, so it is, um, you know, for the time certainly a, a magnificent feat of engineering. But um, I guess you know not as impressive as, as maybe I thought it was at the time. And then in in uh, Patras we actually had a little bit of extra time and had a little bit of time that we could spend exploring. And I chose to go to the Basilica of St. Andrew. And this was a, a big church in Patras. And and it, as the name implies, this is a church which is dedicated to uh, the Apostle Andrew. And I was actually able to see the relics of St. Andrew. Of course, now I know that you know there's actually like three skulls of St. Andrew that exist. But I did see one of them, at least the top part of one of them. And it was, you know, as a Christian, that meant a lot. I mean, it was something that, that I definitely carried away from there, being in awe, you know, um, you know, having that tangible thing. And I've been really interested in, in relics ever since. So that was actually something that, that made a pretty strong impression. And basically, in a nutshell, that's Greece. at least as I've experienced it. Um, As time goes on, maybe I'll get a chance to go there again and learn a little more before I go there and and maybe appreciate it better. Anyway, it is getting to be kind of time to wrap up the show. Uh, Thanks for for bearing with me during this time of internet outage. And I will speak to you all in a few weeks, uh, hopefully uh, not too far future, probably on the 14th, but might not be till... 21st. So everyone take care. This is Tom Harris in Chicago, Illinois signing off. We'll see you next time.